Welcome to The Lost Debate, a show for political eclectics. I'm Ravi Gupta, and this is our part two of our history of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And if you haven't listened to part one, that was released last week. You can go back and listen to that first, and then a lot more of what I talk about today will make sense. Uh, just a few disclaimers as we start out here. Uh, number one, again, I don't speak Arabic or Hebrew, so my pronunciations are not going to be perfect. Uh, my goal, again, is that if you didn't know my views, which now a lot of you do because of the episode that we did earlier this week, but if you didn't know my views, you wouldn't be able to tell them based on this history. I try to go out of my way to provide information that's inconvenient to people who agree with me, and I just try as much as possible to just say at a high level what happened in this disputed territory. Please keep sending in questions. Uh, I've gotten a, a ton of questions on Instagram uh, and people are starting to send in voicemails. Uh, I've got questions about the Holocaust and how it shaped the founding and the mentality of Jews and Israelis. I got a question about uh, pre-World War I uh, Palestinian identity, the community sovereignty, uh, and a question around the average civilian death toll relative to combatants in most wars. So those are a couple of questions that we'll be answering in future episodes, but just keep sending those in. But with that, let's let's go back to where we left off. So we left off with Yitzhak Rabin's assassination. And after Rabin's assassination, and Netanyahu beat Shimon Perez in an election in February 1996. And what was interesting about this is that Perez started with uh, a 20% lead in the polls after Rabin's assassination. But weeks later, there were two suicide bombings on two separate buses in Israel. The first killed 24 and the second killed 19, almost all civilians. And then there were a series of other attacks and uh, in total in an eight-day period, 60 were dead in Israel. Uh, and then Israeli tanks were deployed along the Green Line for the first time since 1967. And while all of that was going on, Arafat was facing increasing pressure at home. Uh, student elections, which are really important in the territories, uh, yielded a Hamas Islamic Jihad victory. They got 23 seats to Fatah's 17. And then in South Lebanon, Israel had been shelling Hezbollah positions during five weeks of cross-border exchanges. Israel hit a UN base and killed 108 civilians sheltering in an equipment container. At this point, the Arab-Israeli voters who made up 14% of the electorate in Israel responded to that bombing on the UN facility with a boycott of the elections, calling Perez a child murderer and a war criminal. And what was interesting is that although the uh, Arab-Israelis boycotted the election, uh, the Likud party, the right wing in Israel, used Arab support of Perez against him. And by two days before the election, Perez's lead was down to 2%, and he wound up losing by just 29,000 votes. And Netanyahu went on to form the most right-wing coalition in the history of Israel up until that point. And in his inaugural speech, he pledged to encourage settlement in areas on the other side of the Green Line, so within what had been Palestinian territory. And he said, quote, the settlers are the real pioneers of our day, and they deserve support and appreciation, end quote. In August, the Israeli cabinet voted to lift restrictions on settlements, and in September, Netanyahu approved the opening by archaeologists of a new entrance to a tunnel linking Via Della Rosa and the Western Wall, 
which is not far from the Al-Aqsa Mosque. The issue had been subject to passionate negotiation for a decade, and it was very contentious, and uh, Netanyahu made this decision against the warning of security chiefs. Uh, essentially, like every little piece of that area, the Western Royal Alaska Mosque, uh, the Temple Mount, every piece of that is disputed. And there's a great, uh, if you watch the, it's either called BB at War or Netanyahu at War, which is a frontline documentary. They go through the details of this particular exchange in pretty great depth. And they interview these security chiefs, they interview Netanyahu. And what was clear is that it was pretty predictable that Palestinians uh, would be deeply offended by the reopening of this tunnel. Um, there's sort of a, a, a lot of politics and history to it that we don't need to go into here. But what's also clear in that frontline documentary in the interview with Netanyahu is that there's like a twinkle in his eye. And he he talks about in that interview that he that he was just opening this tunnel because of the Arab merchants on the other side of the tunnel wanted him to open it. But, you know, by all accounts, he was full of shit and uh, was really trying to, prov- uh, you know, create a pro- provocative moment. He wanted to provoke a reaction. And that's precisely what he got. Clashes erupted around the mosque with seven Palestinians dead. Uh, then Isra- Israel deployed copters and tanks to the territories, killing 44 Palestinians. At this point, Bill Clinton summoned Netanyahu and Arafat to D.C., and Netanyahu decided uh, through this set of negotiations not to outright oppose Oslo, which he had basically been saying publicly up until that point, but instead to slow walk it. Uh, And Netanyahu pushed ahead with aggressive settlement development at this period of time, including a 6,500-unit, 30,000-person settlement, as well as a road and tunnel that allowed direct access from Jerusalem to the Gush Etzion settlement, which bypassed Palestinian towns who were not permitted to use that route. The PLO under Arafat responded by breaking off negotiations and contact. At this point, Arafat was facing tremendous heat over construction. Sari Nusebe, who is a uh, thinker at that time, uh, wrote, quote, uh, Israeli leaders' tearful declarations of peace didn't tally with what they were doing with their bulldozers, end quote. Uh, in July 1997, suicide bombers struck the packed Mahani Yehude uh, market in West Jerusalem, killing 13 and triggering a closure of the West Bank and Gaza, as well as an Israeli suspension of negotiations. In September, another bombing killed five Israelis and injured 180. The Yediot Ahura note columnist uh, Nehum Barnea, whose son had died a year earlier in a bus bombing, wrote the following, quote, Arafat has gone from being a peace partner to a declared enemy. The only light at the end of the tunnel is the flash of the next terrorist blast, end quote. Uh, Israeli intelligence claimed that Arafat had freed a senior Qassam commander to signal to terrorists that he was giving them the green light for attacks. Uh, Netanyahu got uh, into hot water at home and abroad at this period of time when the Mossad uh, botched an assassination of a senior Hamas leader in Jordan. And this is a, a, a really weird incident in which the agents were had to flee to the Israeli embassy in Jordan. Um, the king of Jordan had his troops surround the embassy. Uh, in order to get their agents out, the Israelis had to cut a deal and release a prisoner whom the PLO had been agitating for. But this wasn't all bad during this period of time. In in the final few years of the 1990s, Shin Bet 
and the Palestinian Preventive Security Service had developed close ties and carried out some joint operations. And the U.S. also developed stronger ties with the Palestinian Authority and the CIA trained their security. However, during this period of time, the Palestinian Authority was also becoming increasingly corrupt. Arafat and his allies controlled imports of cement, electricity, fuel, flour, tobacco, and th- what they would do is collect a percentage of everything that came in. So, for example, the price of cement was $74, of which $17 went to the Palestinian authorities, uh, and $17, uh, an additional $17 went to Arafat's private bank account. Uh, this was happening as the Palestinian Authority was using aggressive policing methods, often locking up people without due process and slim evidence, including journalists, civil society figures, academics. And an internal inquiry reported in 1997 that half of that year's $326 million budget had been misspent, mismanaged, and embezzled. Um, an opinion poll found that 56% of Palestinians believed that their political institutions were corrupt. Abbas himself, who's you know at the time um, was Arafat's deputy, he built a conspicuous multi-million-dollar mansion in Gaza, and someone had scrawled graffiti on the wall of this mansion that said, "Quote: This is your reward for selling Palestine." Between 1995 and 1997, unemployment in Gaza was between 24 and 39 percent. Clinton kept pushing for progress at this point between Netanyahu and Arafat, and in 1998 he got the two to have another summit. Netanyahu agreed to three more phases of military redeployment comprising 13% of the West Bank. Uh, The PLO pledged to convene the Palestine National Council to recognize Israel's right to exist. And remember, at this point, the PLO is controlling both Gaza and the West Bank. And the PLO delivered on that promise, recognizing Israel's right to exist. Clinton then visited Gaza in 1998 in December. And he talked of the recognition of Israel, and he said it sent a powerful message to the people of Israel. Ariel Sharon, uh, who's a key deputy to Netanyahu at that point, called on West Bank settlers uh, to, quote, move, run, and grab as many hilltops as you can to enlarge settlements because everything we take now will stay ours, end quote. Uh, Netanyahu faced dissent, uh, though, from the right who hated the concessions that he was making in these Clinton-led negotiations, and also from the left that was unhappy with the slow pace of negotiations and who I think still harbored deep resentment over the Rabin assassination. And so in December 1998, the Knesset voted to dissolve itself and to hold new elections. And the winner of those elections was a labor leader named Ehud Barak, who became prime minister in May of 1999. Uh, Barack was the most decorated soldier in the country's history, and as Rabin's interior minister, Barack had actually opposed the Oslo Accords, but during the election, he promised to continue Rabin's legacy. And initially, he kept the status quo, he kept settlement construction. But in June of 2000, as Clinton was about to leave office, he held a new summit. And Barack's coalition in the Knesset at this point was falling apart. But he decided to basically roll the dice and go for everything. He wanted to go big. Uh, During the summit, he offered 92% of the West Bank uh, and land swaps for the remaining uh, 8%. And for the first time, he offered to accept some Palestinian sovereignty over East Jerusalem and uh, Palestinian custodianship of Haram al-Sharif with Palestinian security on the ground, but with Israeli sovereignty. Uh, He also was willing to accept a small number of refugees that would be allowed back. 
An aide to Barack named Ben-Ami told Arafat, quote, I'm not denying the morality of your demand for the right of return. However, we must together seek a formula whereby the right of return becomes symbolic, end quote. Arafat did not accept the deal, though the details are murky on how he communicated that and why he didn't accept the deal. Uh, there was little written down of these negotiations, negotiations because there were fears of leaks. Um, the Palestinian interpretation, this has been a big subject of interpretation ever since. The Palestinians say that there was no contiguity of territory, there was no full sovereignty over East Jerusalem, and there wasn't enough refugees in the package. Uh, the Israeli view is that Barack went further than any leader had done before. He went beyond his own red lines. He broke taboos like full control over Jerusalem. And uh, they also argue that Arafat didn't come with a meaningful or specific counter uh, and that he simply dragged his feet in the negotiations. A few days after this, uh, Ariel Sharon, who had replaced Netanyahu as the Likud leader, visited Temple Mount and Haram al-Sharif. He claimed he wanted to inspect the archaeological sites, but he later admitted that his real intention was to highlight how Ehud Barak was prepared to give away Israel's sovereignty at Camp David. Uh, this visit, much like the tunnel opening that Netanyahu did, was incendiary by design and chaotic. Uh, a thousand police officers had to uh, accompany Sharon, young Palestinians uh, threw stones, chairs. Nobody was killed at that moment. But in the days after, violence interrupted into what would become the Second Intifada. This is a, a critical few-day period where the closest, perhaps, they ever got to peace uh, and probably the most generous deal that uh, had been on the table from the Israelis to the Palestinians uh, was on the table. Arafat either walked away from it, depending on your history, or, yeah, I mean, I, there's really there's really not that many interpretations of that part. But Arafat doesn't accept it. Uh, and then Sharon visits the Temple Mount, incites the Second Intifada, uh, at least some people claim that that incited the Second Intifada. Um, by September 30th, a 12-year-old boy was shot in the Gaza Strip. Crossfire between Israeli soldiers and the Palestinian security ensued. Uh, and it was the subject of fierce debate as to who is responsible for the death of the young boy. Uh, which bullets hit him? Were they Palestinian Authority bullets or were they Israeli bullets? Uh, the scene was viewed by millions on TV. And over the next few days, 13 Israeli Arab citizens were killed, mostly young people, as protests spread in Israel. And in October of 2000, hundreds of Israelis tore down the walls of a derelict mosque in what had been an Arab village until 1948. Two Israeli soldiers were lynched by a mob at a police station in Ramallah with Palestinian Authority police unwilling to intervene. And in the first three weeks of the Intifada, the IDF fired one million bullets into the occupied territories, including killing at least eight children under 16. By November 2000, Barack announced early general elections, and he was getting heat from the right for being too soft, and he was getting heat internationally for being too extreme. Errol Sharon became prime minister in February 2001, so he's a Likud leader, uh, and this was the end of Oslo at this point. Like at this, From this point forward, there's very little hope of negotiations. The killing continued. Uh, Israel assassinated one of Arafat's bodyguards in Gaza. A Gaza bus driver intentionally ran over eight civilians at a bus stop. A Hamas suicide bomber killed three Israelis in Netanya, and a 10-month-old baby in Hebron, a child of Jewish settlers, was killed by a Palestinian sniper as she sat in her pushchair. Six months into the second intifada, 70 Israelis had been killed, hundreds injured. 
350 Palestinians had been killed and thousands injured. And the settlers were still not happy with Sharon. They didn't feel like he'd gone far enough. They dropped a bullet-ridden car outside of his office to send a message. And at this point, Sharon, I think he decided to walk away from the right, or at least the extreme right in his coalition, and he formed a unity government, which included Shimon Peres, who was Rabin's key deputy um, and the former prime minister. He included Shimon Peres as foreign minister. And Sharon sent his son to Gaza to offer Arafat a temporary state on 42% of the West Bank and a ceasefire. Uh, in February of 2001, Israeli intelligence reported that Arafat had secretly given the go-ahead for that wave of suicide bombings. And Arafat gave a rare interview at this point in which he denied that, but hinted that he could stop the attacks if he wanted, which was a puzzling comment to a lot of people because then they wondered why he wouldn't and how that's not diff- you know how different that was from greenlighting the attacks. Um, one of Arafat's aides, Mohammed Dalan, later said of this period, quote, Arafat would condemn operations by day, while at night he would do the honorable things, end quote. In April 2001, Sharon ordered tanks into Gaza, and George Mitchell, who's a former Democratic senator and who had been involved in, uh, deeply involved in the Northern Ireland peace talks, had been commissioned by the U.S. to study the conflict and issued some findings, uh, including... Um, he said uh, Sharon's Temple Mount walkabout did not cause the intifada. He said that he also rejected the claim that Arafat instigated the unrest, but noted he did little to stop it. Mitchell's summary of the situation was that Israelis and Palestinians didn't seem to fully appreciate each other's problems and concerns. He said that the Israelis didn't comprehend the humiliation and frustration of the Palestinians, and the Palestinians didn't comprehend how terrorism created fear and undermined Israel's belief in its coexistence. And he said, quote, the greatest danger of all is that the culture of peace, nurtured over the previous decade, is being shattered. And life during the Intifada was really rough. Um, there were so many checkpoints, often, you know, going from A to B for a Palestinian turned into, you know, turned a short journey into an odyssey by car, foot, sometimes donkey. Unemployment in Gaza reached nearly 50%. And in June of 2001, suicide bombing of a beachfront nightclub in Tel Aviv killed 21, mostly young girls, and Hamas claimed responsibility. Arafat denounced the attack and announced a ceasefire, and two of the plotters of the attack were killed along with two children in an Apache attack. And in August, another 15 Israelis, including seven children, died in a suicide attack on a Sabaro pizza. Hamas claimed responsibility for that. And in an odd side note, um, Islamic Jihad, another uh, sort of uh, is Islamist uh, terrorist organization uh, claimed responsibility for the very same attack, but later realized that they had another suicide bomber who had been en route to somewhere near there, there at the same period of time. So they were mistaken. They thought they they had committed that attack. It just shows you like this the sheer volume of act, like horrific activity going on at that point. At this point, Israel took out a number of Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and PFLP leaders. And in September 10th, 2001, the day before 9-11, seven people were killed in three separate attacks in the space of five hours, including one by an Israeli Arab citizen, which was a first. The Bush White House pushed for a ceasefire, which lasted only a few days before the Palestinians renounced it, uh, shortly followed by Sharon. Bush also called for the creation of a Palestinian state, which drew a public rebuke from Sharon. And the White House called Sharon's statement unacceptable. 
In mid-December, Arafat went on Palestinian TV to warn that the Palestinian Authority would punish anyone who violated his orders and planned a suicide bombing or mortar fire. You got to remember, this is the post-9-11 environment. There's a lot of pressure on Arafat to tamp down on terrorism. This led to a three-week period of quiet. Uh, the Israelis then assassinated a wanted bomb maker and plotter, and the assassination was actually opposed by the IDF and former Shimbet leaders, who warned Sharon that it would jeopardize the truce. Uh, this uh, led to a new round of suicide bombings. A few days later, the Palestinians walked into a uh, Palestinian walked into a bar mitzvah and shot six dead. This led to a prolonged back and forth with many civilian casualties. Uh, in January 2002, the Israelis intercepted a freighter carrying $50 million worth of weapons from Iran to Gaza, and Arafat denied knowledge of this, which many observers found hard to believe. And by the spring of 2002, they had reached the peak of that second intifada, what some people call the Al-Aqsa Intifada because of Sharon's visit uh, to the Al-Aqsa site. In March 27th of that year, a Hamas bomber killed 29 elderly Israelis celebrating Passover in Netanya. Um, the bombing triggered what was called Operation Defensive Shield, which is the biggest Israeli operation in the West Bank since 1967. They called up 20,000 men, and almost every town was reoccupied, which was a throwback to the pre-Oslo days. Thousands of Palestinians were arrested, many killed. And in Ramallah, Israeli troops exchanged fire with Arafat's bodyguards surrounding his headquarters with bulldozers, cutting off his power. At this point, everything is acrimonious between the Palestinian leadership and Sharon's leadership. Fighting also broke out in a Janine refugee camp. 23 Israeli soldiers were dead and 52 Palestinians. Uh, this fighting lasted a month and cost $360 million in damage, according to the World Bank, and across the territories. 250 to 500 were dead, uh, mostly Palestinian security. And in June, a spat of new suicide bombings led to another smaller incursion called Operation Determined Path. Um, that June, Bush, uh, I think, had had enough with Arafat. He called on him to go. And in July, an Israeli jet bombed the Gaza home of a Qassam Brigade commander, killing him and 14 others, including nine children. Uh, this led to international condemnation and a subsequent Israeli investigation found intelligence failures, but no intention to kill civilians. But it did little to kill speculation that Sharon was trying to sabotage the peace talks. The writer Ian Black wrote of this period of time that, quote, uh, the Al-Aqsa Intifada's violence took a dreadful toll on mutual empathy and understanding, always in short supply between Palestinians and Israelis. And if the dominant image of the first intifada was Palestinian children throwing stones, the symbol of the second was the suicide bomber, end quote. In late 2002, polling showed that 51% of Palestinians rejected military operations, uh, i.e. terrorism, as harmful to the Palestinian national interest. And they coined a new term called intifada, which combined intifada, with Fauda, which means chaos. And in June of 2002, the cabinet voted to begin constructing a new separation fence. Uh, and polling showed large public support for this. And this would be part fence, part concrete wall, up to 24 feet high of barbed wire sensors, cameras, and towers. And the first section was completed in the summer of 2003. The Palestinians protested, calling it an apartheid wall. And according to the UN, only 15% of the wall followed the green line, while the rest of uh, the rest cut up uh, 11 miles of the West Bank, leaving many Palestinians isolated from the rest of their territory. And the economic implications of this made it hard to work for Palestinians. Between 2001 and 2002, 
the Palestinian GDP shrunk 40%. Um, Bush floated at this period of time a roadmap for peace, as he called it. But he and Tony Blair, the leader of the UK, were distracted by Afghanistan and Iraq. Like Bush certainly wasn't putting in the kind of energy and time that Bill Clinton was into the peace talks. Israeli troops at various points surrounded Arafat's compound and had him under siege. Mahmoud Abbas, Arafat's key aide, became the Palestinian prime minister. And Hamas condemned him as the Karzai of Palestine, you know, kind of a dig at uh, Hamid Karzai, the, the leader of Afghanistan at that point, who was very much viewed as a, a corrupt stooge of the United States. And Abbas himself uh, found himself in conflict with Arafat over jobs for cronies. And Abbas was replaced temporarily by uh, Corrier, who is the speaker of the Legislative Council. And Palestinian suicide bombings and Israeli assassinations kept on. In June of 2003, Israel tried and failed to kill a Hamas leader in Gaza. A day later, a teenage Hamas bomber dressed as an Orthodox Jew killed 16 people on a rush hour bus in Jerusalem. 20 more Israelis died in October during a bombing of a restaurant in Haifa. And Gaza was not reoccupied, but was subject to raids and targeted uh, attempts at terrorists. And these often went wrong, including an incident in March 2003 that killed a pregnant woman in a refugee camp. That same month, an American student named Rachel Corey was crushed to death by an Israeli bulldozer in Rafa. Two British visitors, one an activist and one journalist, were also killed by the IDF around the same time. And in December 2003, uh, Sharon shocked many by calling for, for a uh, full withdrawal of troops from settlements in Gaza. The right wing opposed it. But uh, Gaza never had the same draw to Israelis as the West Bank. It had fewer holy sites, fewer natural resources. Around that time, Sharon used the word occupation also to describe Israeli actions in the territories. And he also commissioned a report on settlement activity um, that was issued by this uh, former state attorney named Talia Sassoon. And she cataloged how government departments had, without authorization, allocated funding to dozens of what they called outposts, which are illegal settlements on private uh, Palestinian land and moves that were illegal under Israeli law. Uh, so at this point, it, it appeared that Sharon was tacking left and that he was moving for peace, but he did keep on with constructing the wall. Uh, and he didn't want Hamas to declare victory for the Gaza pullout. Uh, and so he kept greenlighting a succession of targeted killings of Hamas leaders. But in late 2003, we'll never really know what would have happened uh, between Sharon and Arafat. Uh, late 2003, Arafat suffered a heart attack. And in October 2004, he collapsed and lost consciousness. He was flown to Paris for treatment and fell into a coma and died on November 11th. Uh, his widow suspected poison, but forensics investigations found he died of a brain hemorrhage and intestinal infection. According to Palestinian historian Rashid Khalidi, Arafat's death, quote, was marked with both sadness and relief among Palestinians. A sense of anxiety at the disappearance of the only leader most people have ever known, combined with a sense that change was imperative after so many years of going nowhere. Resentment at a father figure who had clung to power for so long was accompanied by deep insecurity at the disappearance of the icon who symbolized the Palestinian cause, end quote. In January 2005, Abbas was elected to replace Arafat as the president of the PA and the chairman of the PLO. Uh, in February, Abbas and Sharon met in Sharm el-Sheikh and agreed to a ceasefire. And Islamic Jihad and Hamas insisted they weren't bound by it, but agreed to respect a, quote, tadiyah, 
period of calm. That February, that meeting was widely recognized as the end of the second intifada, the so-called Al-Aqsa intifada. Uh, Gaza evacuation began in mid-August 2005 and wrapped up a month later. Most Gaza settlers left peacefully, but some had to be dragged onto buses while others barricaded themselves and threw paint at troops. Israeli demolition crews raised 2,800 settler homes. And Israel maintained full control over Gaza's borders once they left, as well as air and sea. The writer Ian Black wrote that Hamas was on the rise at this point because the lives of Palestinians had been dominated by three Gs, guns, gates, and guards. And now there was, according to Ian, a fourth G, God, that was becoming more relevant. And what he meant by this was that Hamas imposed strict Islamic laws in the Gaza Strip, severely limiting personal freedoms. Uh, women were expected to wear conservative Islamic attire to cover their, hairs and their hair and bodies. Um, they had been harassed and detained for not adhering to those dress codes. Uh, homosexuality was considered a crime uh, under the laws of Hamas and forces. Those suspected of being gay or lesbian risked arrest, torture, and even execution in extreme cases. And public discussions of LGBTQ rights were suppressed, which created an atmosphere of fear and discrimination in the community. And Islamic fundamentalism also underpinned Hamas's governance. The groomed aimed to create a theocratic state based on a strict interpretation of Islamic law or Sharia. And this involved not just laws, but education, school curricula, including religious teachings, promoted uh, jihad and martyrdom. And the judicial system was molded by fundamentalist views like the amputations and public executions of people for crimes such as theft. Um, the Hamas charter called for the destruction of Israel and encouraged all good Muslims to kill Jews. It was amended in 2017, but never repudiated its original charter. And around that time, the Hamas foreign minister, Mahmoud al-Sahar, said, quote, Israel is a vile entity that has been planted on our soil and has no historical, religious, or cultural legitimacy. We cannot normalize our relations with this entity. We say no to recognizing Israel, regardless of the price we have to pay for our refusal, end quote. Now, around this time, around a billion dollars a year in foreign aid was coming into the Palestinian territories. This was the highest per capita in the world. Ramallah became what was described as a boom town with nicer restaurants, hotels, apartments, and villas. There was a new elite that rose up at this period of time that breeded resentment and accusations of corruption. Incomes in 2005 in the territories were 31% below what they were in 1999, and unemployment was at 25%. Um, one local businessman called this a fake economy. He said, quote, it's so artificial, it depends on foreign aid, and we've seen what happens when it stops. The government employees go without salaries, end quote. There were tons of checkpoints, at least 10 separate areas of checkpoints in the West Bank. And Nassim Le Levy, who spent years working for the Shim Bet, wrote, quote, if a boy from Bethlehem falls in love with a girl from Nablus, what does he do? He has to cross checkpoints. He needs a thousand and one permits. The moment you reach that conclusion that you have nothing to live for, you immediately find that you have something to die for, end quote. And West Bank Barrier was a target of regular protests, sometimes joined by left-wing Israelis. In 2004, the International Court of Justice issued an advisory opinion um, that the barrier was contrary to international law. And left-wing Israeli organizations started to begin uh, to play a larger part. A group called Gisha, or Access, was set up in 2005 to deal with freedom of movement issues. A group called Yadin, uh, There is Justice, used volunteers to shine a light on human rights in the occupied territory. Um, and in November 2005, Sharon left Likud and founded Kadima, which was billed as more centrist, um, sort of a new party. 
and he brought with him Ehud Omar uh, and Zippy Livni, a uh, uh, former uh, minister of justice. And this brought with it new possibilities for realignment within Israeli politics. But in January 2006, shortly after the Kadima was formed, Sharon suffered a stroke and sank into a coma and was permanently incapacitated. Uh, Olmert led Kadima to victory two months later. And Abbas at this point called the first elections to Palestinian Legislative Council since 1996. Hamas took part with ads that were largely focused on Palestinian Authority corruption. There was 77% turnout and Hamas won 42.9%, drawing most of their support from Gaza where they dominated. And Fatah won 45%, drawing most of their support from the West Bank. Um, Abbas stayed on as president, but now he needed legislative approval for his budget, et cetera, from Hamas members. The quartet, uh, which is US, EU, UN, and Russia, deemed Hamas a terrorist organization, and they slashed financial support to the Palestinian Authority in response to that election, while Israel withheld tax revenues it collected on its behalf. Palestinian Authority employees weren't able to get paid. Uh, Hamas members of parliament had to be sworn in by a video link because they couldn't even leave Gaza. And in the summer of 2006, violence would rear its head again. In July 2006, a 12-year-old Palestinian boy and his grandmother and two cousins were killed by an artillery shell fired by Israeli soldiers at what they believed were Qassam rockets coming from nearby. Later that afternoon, an 11-year-old girl was killed by a shell. This led to a flare-up of violence. Hamas renounced the easing of tensions. They said Zionists must prepare their coffins or their luggage. In June 25th, Palestinian fighters tunneled underground under a kibbutz. They killed uh, two IDF members and they took one hostage. And this is a key point in the conflict. Um, This hostage was named Gilad Shalit. And you might be hearing this name uh, recently because he was the first IDF soldier captured by Palestinians in over a decade. This led to what was called Operation Summer Rains, which was approved by Olmert. The goal was to free Shalit, halt Qassam fire, and disarm terrorist groups. Uh, there were air raids and arrests in Gaza. And in mid-July, Lebanon's Hezbollah, in solidarity with Hamas, mounted a raid on Israel's northern border, killing three Israeli soldiers and capturing two others. Five more soldiers were killed inside Lebanon in a failed rescue mission. Uh, this led to a second Lebanon war, and it was to take place on much of the same terrain as the first. It lasted 35 days. The Israeli ground invasion of the south went after Hezbollah fighters who were equipped with modern anti-tank missiles. Uh, 240 Hezbollah rockets hit targets inside of Israel. 1,300 uh, Lebanese at least died and 165 Israelis. And there were a ton of civilian deaths. Uh, This was a two-front war for the Israelis, Gaza and Lebanon, in two territories that Israel had unilaterally withdrawn from previously. And in September... Abbas and Ismail Haniyeh, who is the Hamas leader, agreed to form that unity government, but couldn't find a common stance towards Israel. At this point, the U.S. started to channel its security assistance directly to Abbas and his presidential guard and not to the Palestinian Authority. Uh, Clashes continued, and in November, the IDF shells killed 19 Palestinians and wounded 40 in Beit Hanun because of what Israelis dubbed a technical malfunction in response to Qassam rocket fire. In February 2007, Saudis brokered the formation of a unity government, and the U.S. and Israel opposed it. Um, Hamas refused to end rocket fire. Uh, Jaysh al-Islam, which helped capture Shalit, 
kidnapped the BBC's Gaza correspondent, Alan Johnson, who ironically had reported on the danger of unemployed militants with time on their hands. At the time, Shin Bet's security chief described Fatah as desperate, disorganized, and demoralized. The crisis worsened from there, with Islamists taking over the entire Gaza Strip. Hamas threw an officer of the Palestinian Guard off a 15-story building, and Fatah men retaliated, doing the same to a Hamas official. Hamas seized uh, Abbas's Gaza compound, and a Hamas fighter lounged in Abbas's fancy office, mocking him, pretending to call Condoleezza Rice. Uh, Abbas declared a state of emergency and dissolved the government. This was a period of time that saw the emergence of a man named Salam Fayed, uh, who was a Texas-educated economist who worked for the IMF. And he was the Palestinian Authority's finance minister. And he was appointed to replace Hania, basically becoming the second in command. Um, And now the territories were split up. Uh, Gaza was in control of Hamas, the West Bank uh, to the Palestinian Authority and Fatah. And Western allies pledged to support Abbas, and they suspended aid projects in Gaza and lifted the boycott of the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. Olmert implored the U.S. to treat Gaza and the West Bank separately from here forward, breaking a link that had been a bedrock since Oslo. And Bush said he'd only do that if Israel made concessions to improve the quality of life in the West Bank. And in July 2007, Bush announced a new effort to restart peace peace talks. He invited Syria and Saudi Arabia to the table. And uh, in the eyes of commentators, uh, those two countries were strikingly unenthusiastic about the peace negotiations. Omar also promised to freeze settlement construction, but in practice didn't fully halt it. Um, In December 2007, a donor conference in Paris allocated $7.2 billion to the Palestinian Authority. And this was heading to what were dubbed the Annapolis talks. And these were, you know, talks between the Palestinian Authority and the Olmert government. And everybody coming to the table for these talks was in an extremely weak position. Olmert was, he faced uh, corruption charges dating back to his time as mayor of Jerusalem. Abbas had lost half of his territory to Hamas and Bush was embroiled in Iraq. So if you compare that group, Olmert, Abbas, and Bush to Clinton, Rabin, and Arafat, and eventually instead of Rabin, Barack, like, you know, the, the old guard were, you know, in much stronger positions to negotiate peace than those who came to this Annapolis conference. But at Annapolis, Omar gave a moving speech about Palestinian suffering. He and Abbas declared that their goal was to reach agreement on Palestinian statehood before Bush left office in 2009. Uh, Tony Blair, who at this point was the Middle East envoy, he had left office in the UK, and he was the envoy for the UN, EU, US, and Russia, which is called the Quartet. Uh, they adopted a West Bank first strategy that was bullish on Fayyad's focus on institution building, infrastructure, governance, security. Like Fayyad was a very popular guy among the West. Uh, in January 2008, 267 rockets and 256 mortars were fired across the border, injuring nine Israelis. Um, peace talks were cordial. They kept going on at this point because remember, these rockets are coming from Gaza, not the West Bank, uh, but they got stuck on issues of settlements and refugees. In August, Olmert offered a boss take it or leave it deal that included near total withdrawal from all but 5.8% of the West Bank. Um, the Palestinians would be compensated with a swap of Israeli land equivalent to 5.8% of the West Bank. The old city of Jerusalem would be, would be placed under international control. Olmert showed Abbas a map 
of what he was going to be giving him and pressed him to agree to it on the spot. But interesting that he wouldn't give him the physical copy of the map. It's very weird. Abbas balked. Um, Israelis uh, argued afterwards that Abbas missed a historic opportunity. The Palestinians argued that the deal would have been worthless because Olmert was a lame duck who was about to resign from criminal charges. Um, there was a lot of speculation at the time that Olmert was looking for a Hail Mary pass to remove the stain of his corruption charges, perhaps to escape his corruption charges. And Olmert would eventually be convicted and go to prison. So this, this prime minister of Israel went to prison. They, uh, at this point, uh, there was a major military operation called Operation Cast Lead. Uh, it was, the goal was to end Palestinian ra- rocket fire from Gaza and arms smuggling. And in November 4th, 2008, the day of Obama's election, um, the IDF killed six Hamas men who were digging a tunnel. Hamas retaliated, firing dozens of rockets into Israel. In December 27th, Hamas uh, had been lulled into a false sense of security because Israel was kind of dragging its feet on whether to do anything. Um, Israel hit 100 targets within minutes. Uh, Death toll that day was 230. Um, Dozens of tunnels under the border with Egypt were destroyed. And in January 3rd, 2009, there was an Israeli ground offensive that ended on January 18th, two days before Obama took office, with Israel unilaterally announcing a ceasefire and Hamas following suit a few hours later. Um, The Palestinian casualties of that operation were over 1,000, including at least 400 children. Coverage was colored by the rise of blogs and social media who filled the gaps. And the IDF launched a YouTube page, which showed drone footage. Um, Abbas was said to have privately urged Israelis to continue the military campaign and overthrow Hamas. So this is a very controversial point, um, is that the Israelis wound up leaking this, I believe, that Hamas was Abbas was essentially cheering on Americans going after Hamas, which is very controversial within Palestinian circles. Um, the aftermath of that operation was colored by recriminations over the war. Uh, there was this report at the UN uh, called the Goldstone Report, and I, I worked at the UN at this period of time for the for the U.S. government. Um, and there was this report that the UN was going to issue about what they viewed as uh, human rights abuses by Israel, and it became a big back and forth between the U.S., Israel, and um, other countries who were more sympathetic to the Palestinians. Um, During that operation, the West Bank maintained peace throughout. And interestingly, a lot of Israeli army went from the West Bank to Gaza for fighting and trusted the Palestinian Authority to maintain peace within the West Bank. Obama, in June of 2009, uh, gave a speech in in Cairo, which was part of his efforts to kind of rebrand and reframe the U.S. relationship with the Arab and Muslim world. Um, He described the relationship with Israel as unbreakable and the situation for Palestinians unintolerable. Uh, He said he didn't really present any new ideas, but did say that settlements were illegitimate, and he called on Hamas to end violence. He said, quote, it's a sign neither of courage nor power to shoot rockets at sleeping children or to blow up old women on a bus. As Zippy Livni, uh, Omar's successor as leader of Kadima, narrowly won the 2009 elections in terms of vote totals and members, but the Gaza war boosted the right wing and Netanyahu was asked to form a new government. And his foreign minister became this guy named Avigdor Lieberman, um, who was a hard right figure who lived in a West Bank settlement and campaigned on a promise to have Israel's Arab citizens swear an oath of loyalty to Israel as a Jewish state or lose their citizenship. Barack, at this point, led the Labor Party, which was now reduced to just 13 seats. Um, so Kadima, in many ways, was starting to pull uh, a lot of the support that Labor was getting. 
George Mitchell continued his work uh, as Middle East uh, envoy. Obama uh, pushed for a peace deal, but Netanyahu added a new demand that Palestinians formally recognize Israel as a Jewish state before negotiating a two-state solution. Um, and so he's now saying you recognize Israel as a Jewish state. The PLO had recognized Israel at Oslo, but now felt that they were asked to endorse Zionism itself. Uh, Obama and Hillary demanded a total freeze on settlements. Um, Israeli uh, right-wingers responded chanting, uh, quote, Saddam Hussein Obama at rallies. Um, in November, Netanyahu agreed uh, to a 10-month moratorium that was heavily qualified in moratorium on settlement construction. Uh, he also, Netanyahu, excluded East Jerusalem and construction that was already underway, uh, and that was essential to normal life. Uh, days after making that promise, Netanyahu told settlers um, the building would resume as soon as the suspension was over. Abbas, because of that, refused to enter negotiations unless the issue was resolved. In January 2010, Mossad agents using British and Australian passports uh, killed uh, the Hamas chief of logistics and weapons procurement in a Dubai hotel and uh, were caught on CCT footage. Um, and this led to a kind of embarrassing public moment for Israel and a lot of tension between them and the UAE government. This uh, was also a period of time that saw the rise of what's called the BDS movement, boycott, disinvestment, and sanctions. Um, the campaign did not just target the settlements or businesses that were directly involved in occupation, but all Israeli institutions, arguing that they were all complicit. Uh, they opposed any normalization with the Israelis and wanted a one-state solution. Uh, the Palestinian Authority did not back BDS, but did back a boycott of settlement produce. Fayyad... Uh, was continuing to build support and momentum, and he gained international support for a state-building strategy. Uh, there was a growing middle class in the West Bank helped by cheap bank loans for homes and cars. And even Gaza during this period was calmer than usual. Rocket launches were down from over 2,000 in 2008 to 150 um, during that period of time. In February 2011, the U.S. cast its veto against a U.N. Security Council resolution condemning Israel. Israeli settlements. Uh, it was drafted by Britain, Germany, and France. The Obama administration insisted that settlements were illegitimate instead of illegal. 2010 and 2011 was also the uh, time of the Arab Spring, which motivated rallies in the West Bank, calling for an end to the split with Gaza and for new elections. Uh, Abbas's term had expired two years earlier, but he was still ruling, while Fayyad's appointment as prime minister hadn't yet been confirmed by parliament. Gaza also saw protests against Hamas's, Hamas's repression and religious fundamentalist social norms. They fired uh, dozens of mortar shells into Israel in March of 2011 to deflect from the internal resistance. Um, and when bin Laden was killed, uh, Hamas leader Ishmael Haniyeh hailed bin Laden as a mujahid, a holy warrior, um, which you know didn't do anything to endear Hamas to the eyes of the West. In May, Fatah and Hamas agreed to a need, new date for unity elections. Fatah nominated Fayyad, uh, who is the preference of the EU and the US, and Hamas opposed him. Um, opponents of the deal uh, in Gaza and Hamas didn't want security cooperation with Israel to affect their tunnels, which were a huge revenue generator for them and a source of power. Um, one Hamas official said, quote, the siege is a blessing in disguise. It's weaning us off Israel and 60 years of aid and helping us to ourselves. Uh, Abbas facing a deadlock from Israel and Hamas sought UN recognition of Palestinian statehood 
He faced strong opposition from the U.S. and didn't get enough votes, but he was hailed as a hero at home. In October of 2011, Hamas released Gilad Shalit, who is that captured IDF soldier who was captured in 2006, in exchange for 1,027 Palestinian prisoners, many of whom are serving life sentences for killing Israelis. So one soldier for 1,027 Palestinian prisoners. The swap did not include Fataz Marwan Burghadi, uh, who was viewed by many as uh, uh, Abbas's successor, and it was viewed because Barghouti was not released or any of like sort of the major Fatah figures, the trade was viewed as a lopsided victory for Hamas and antagonistic towards Fatah and Abbas. In uh, in Egypt, they saw the election of Muslim Brotherhood's uh, Mohamed Morsi, and Hamas thought initially that Morsi would be supportive of them, but uh, Cairo did not become any more friendly to Hamas than under Mubarak. Um, they accused Egypt did uh, accuse Hamas of assisting terrorists in an incident where 18 soldiers were killed in the Sinai. In November 2012, Gaza erupted again as, uh, with the Israeli assassination of the leader of the Popular Resistance Committees and a senior Hamas military commander, Ahmed Jabari. Um, Israeli airstrikes and rocket strikes ensued in Gaza, and this ended six days later with an Egyptian-brokered ceasefire that prevented a full-scale IDF invasion. In November 2012, the boss won a, a big victory when the UN General Assembly upgraded Palestine to a non-member observer status. The status gave Palestine uh, access to organizations like the International Criminal Court. Avigdor Lieberman, sort of the key Netanyahu aide, uh, had attacked this effort, apparently without irony, as diplomatic terrorism. That's a correction, by the way. I think I said Netanyahu in the last podcast. It was Lieberman. Um, but Netanyahu, weeks after another election, announced plans to build thousands of new homes in the West Bank in an east-west corridor called E1, which would bisect the northern and southern parts of the West Bank. It was the last open space that could allow for a contiguous Palestinian state with its capital in East Jerusalem. The Israeli government also provided up to 28000 for each apartment built in a settlement. So often what this led to is financial reasons for people to move to settlements, not just ideological. Um, in Ariel, in 2012, a four-bedroom home cost $200,000 for the average Israeli. The same money could buy only a two-room apartment in Tel Aviv. So sometimes it made financial sense to move to the settlers based on the incentives created. In 2008, 31% of settlers defined themselves as ultra-Orthodox, 22% lived in nationalist religious settlements, and 32% in settlements with a diversity of religious observance. So most of the settlements had some kind of more um, sort of fundamentalist religious observance. Uh, settlers were powerful. By 2010, one-third of the IDF infantry officers were drawn from the national religious camp. Avigdor Lieberman himself lived in a settlement. Liberals within Israel were uh, continuing to protest the settlements. Uh, and in 2011, uh, they uh, uh, protested the appointment to the Supreme Court of a judge who lived in a settlement. Uh, Haaretz said of that appointment, quote, he breaks the law every time he goes home, end quote. Um, settler violence against Palestinians in the West Bank was common. In 2011, 7,500 olive trees were destroyed. And land occupied by settlements themselves was no more than 3% of the West Bank, though the roads, tunnels, and other infrastructure that supported them accounted for much more land. 42% of the West Bank was in Israeli hands. Um, the Israeli uh, commentator Meron Bienvenisti said, quote, the green line is like a one-way mirror. 
it's only for the Palestinians, not for the Israelis. And Netanyahu's biggest regional foe at this period of time was Iran. And support for Palestinians and ire for Israel was uh, Iranian policy since the 1979 revolution. Arafat had actually been handed the keys to the abandoned Israeli embassy in Tehran to use as a mission for the PLO, though Israel did provide weapons to Iran, strangely, during the Iran-Iraq war. So I'll repeat that. During the Iran-Iraq war, Israel supported Iran, I guess because you know they viewed Saddam more as an enemy. It's kind of the enemy of my enemy is my friend, I guess. But back to that, you know, the 2000 the 2000s, um, Israel uh, said that Iran provided weapons to Gaza in support for Hezbollah. Uh, and Iran admitted to a nuclear program in 2003 and agreed to international inspections and to spend the enrichment of uranium. uranium. Uh, in 2005, Iran elected uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, uh, who is a populist hardline Holocaust denier, and Ahmadinejad uh, resumed enrichment. The US, EU, and UN pushed sanctions and they also uh, participated, at least the U.S. did with the Israelis, uh, in cyber attacks and assassinations of Iranian nuclear scientists. Um, and there was a constant threat hanging over this period of time of Israeli uni- unilateral action, a bombing against Iran. Uh, in 2012, at the end, the U.N., Netanyahu gave a speech where he brandished a drawing of a bomb and drew over it with a red pen to indicate where Israel's red line was. Within Iran, uh, a more moderate leader, at least by Iran standards, named Hassan Rouhani, was elected in 2013. And by the end of the year, the US, Iran, and other major powers agreed to an interim agreement under the Obama administration, where Iran would curb its nuclear program in exchange for sanctions relief. Uh, Obama pushed this over the objections of Netanyahu, who even traveled to DC to address com- Congress and lobby against Obama, but he wasn't able to convince enough Democrats to go against Obama. In April of 2013, Salam Fayyad resigned as prime minister. Uh, he had tension with Abbas and Hamas over corruption. So Fayyad, who I think many viewed as the most competent, courageous, and sort of uh, above the fray, non-corrupt leaders that the Palestinians had had, basically was pushed out by both the extreme Hamas side and by Abbas, who was corrupt. Uh, the U.S. and EU implored Abbas to make it work to no avail. Uh, in 2014, this is a key year, three Israeli boys were kidnapped while hitchhiking home from their yeshiva in a West Bank settlement. Israel responded by rearresting many who were freed in the Shalit exchange. And media images in Israel showed Palestinian children holding up three fingers to celebrate the, abdu- the abduction. Um, Jerusalem became extremely tense and even more divided than it normally was. The bodies of three were, uh, the three kids were eventually found near Hebron, uh, and Hamas hailed the killings, but denied responsibility. Uh, rockets were fired from Gaza into Israel as the three kids were being buried. Um, immediately afterwards, a Palestinian teenager was abducted and killed in East Jerusalem. Three Israelis, two of them teenagers, were given life sentences for that murder. In 2014, Israel launched Operation Protective Edge against Hamas in Gaza. The operation aimed to stop rocket attacks on Israel and destroy Hamas tunnels into Israeli territory. And for 50 days, both sides exchanged airstrikes and artillery fire. And the conflict resulted in significant civilian casualties, mainly in Gaza. Ceasefire talks mediated by Egypt eventually led to an end to the fighting. And in the aftermath, and even till this day, Israel and its critics debated the proportionality and and civilian deaths. And it's hard to get good information on the ground about what happened at that period of time. 
the Foreign Press Association issued a statement during the conflict about, quote, blatant, incessant, forceful, and unorthodox intimidation of journalists in the Gaza Strip by Hamas. Uh, in several cases, they complained, quote, foreign reporters working in Gaza have been harassed, threatened, or questioned over their stories. Um, the, the Foreign Press Association said this amount to denying their readers and viewers an objective uh, picture from the ground. We're also aware that Hamas is trying to put in place a vetting procedure that would, in effect, allow for the blacklisting of specific journalists, end quote. So basically, the press was saying Hamas is making it really hard to accurately portray what was happening on the ground. Uh, a British analyst uh, gave a, uh, a speech at that period of time, said that um, Israel used a variety of methods to avoid striking civilians and causing civilian casualties. I think his name is Alan Johnson. I think this piece was recently released in the Free Press. Um, he said that those methods included leaflet drops, taxing phone calls to buildings that are going to be bombed, and the use of pinpoint precision rockets, and the use of knock-on-the-roof tactics where Israel deployed a scare bomb that only makes noise in order to warn civilians to leave the targeted area. So he's basically saying Israel kind of went out of its way to avoid civilian casualties. Palestinians counter by saying that Israel didn't always use those tactics or didn't give enough time. Um, the IDF estimates that in that 2014 conflict, 45% of the Palestinians dead were combatants and 55% were civilians. Again, the ratio of uh, civilian casualties uh, in a urban war are often very high, often as high as 90%. And um, there's, uh, in the last episode, I talked about this Economist article um, that kind of compares, uh, compares urban warfare, modern urban warfare in places like Mosul and Fallujah and compares the civilian casualties to what's happened in Israel, various fights. Um, I've seen numbers from anywhere from 50 to 90% civilian casualties. Uh, Shin Bet released admissions by captured Hamas leaders that mosques were used for military activity and tunnels were built near kindergartens and clinics. And it's hard to gauge the support of Hamas during that time. But there's some evidence that they gained in popularity at this point. So Raja Sarani of the Palestinian Center for Human Rights called Hamas, quote, Hamas part of the Palestinian DNA. Um, the Palestinian analyst, uh, Muhin Robini, suggested that Hamas enjoy the support of a majority of the Gaza population. Um, and in January 2017, a Palestinian drove his truck into a group of IDF cadets and then tried to reverse and run over them again before being shot. Um, four cadets were dead. Three of them were women. Um, the perpetrator was alleged to be a follower of ISIS, who's like a new entrant on the scene, though this was never confirmed. Hamas praised the attack, tweeting, uh, we bless the courageous and heroic truck operation in Jerusalem. In February 2017, the Israeli Knesset voted 60 to 52 to regularize the status of Jewish outposts, which were the unauthorized, some said illegal, settlements built on private Palestinian land in the West Bank. This would eventually be challenged by the Israeli high courts. Um, and uh, uh, Bezalel Smotrich, an outspoken member of parliament for Jewish Home, which was a kind of pro-settler party, um, which spearheaded the legislation, thanked Americans for electing Trump quote, without whom the law would have probably not passed. This is a key moment that leads up even till this day because the courts wind up challenging the settlements or the outposts uh, as being legal. And it's because of that that Netanyahu wound up going after the courts and doing the so-called judicial reforms, which divided Israel um, in the past few years. This uh, decision by the Knesset under Netanyahu was condemned by leaders in the center and the left 
the Labour Party leader, Isaac Herzog, warned of a national suicide. Um, Even Dan Mirador, who is a former Likud justice minister, called it evil and dangerous and likely to lead to prosecution of Israel in the International Criminal Court and breaching of the Geneva Conventions. In March of 2015, uh, Netanyahu, despite all of this, won his fourth term, campaigning hard to the right. Um, And Jewish Home, that settler party, had a strong performance. And Naftali Bennett, their leader, became education minister and Ayelit Shaked, uh, minister of justice. The Netanyahu government grew in hostility to left-wing groups internally at this period of time, breaking the silence, uh, Beth Betislam, uh, Gush Shalom. Uh, in 2016, the Knesset passed a law requiring greater transparency for NGOs funded by foreign government entities. Um, this was condemned by the Obama administration and the EU. In that same year, a poll showed 82% of young Jews believed there was no chance or barely a chance for peace. And polling of Palestinians showed two-thirds believing a two-state solution was no longer possible and 62% favoring abandoning of Oslo. Uh, And the curriculum for Israel's matriculation exams in history and civics avoided all reference to the occupation. Um, Ami Ayalon, who was the head of the Shin Bet in the 90s, warned of a, quote, incremental tyranny that was undermining Israel's democracy. Uh, Carmi Galon, who is Ayalon's predecessor, who resigned after the Rabin assassination, said the country was being driven by this occupation towards disaster. Uh, Ehud Barak warned that the Israeli government was infected with budding fascism. Uh, and you know Netanyahu largely responded to these criticisms by warning of the deep state and saying, you know, essentially using rhetoric, um, kind of Trump-esque about how like all the Israeli security apparatus was out to get him. Uh, in the autumn of 2015, there was a uh, spate of knife attacks on Israelis in East Jerusalem and the West Bank, um, and their ramming attacks. Um, I, I was actually in Israel right around this period of time, and you could feel the climate of fear. I was also in the territories. Um, a December poll by the Palestinian Center for Public Policy and Research found that 67% of Palestinians supported knife attacks. Hamas chose a new leader in Gaza, somebody named Yahya al-Sinwar. Um, he was a family of 1948 refugees from the military wing. In 1988, he masterminded the abduction and killing of two Israeli soldiers and the murder of four Palestinians who he suspected of cooperating with Israel. Um, and he was arrested, Yahya was, uh, and convicted of murder and sentenced to four life sentences in 1989. And he was released from Israeli prison in the Shalit Exchange. And Sinwar, uh, up until this day, at least of this recording, is the leader of Hamas who's currently on the run and hiding from the Israelis. There is a manhunt for him. In December of 2017, the U.S. under Trump recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. In 2018, demonstrations and violence took place in Gaza along the fence with Israel, including demonstrators hurling rocks and gasoline bombs across the barrier. Uh, Israeli troops killed more than 170 Palestinians over the next several months. And in November, um, Israel staged a covert raid into Gaza, and at least seven suspected Palestinian militants and a senior Israeli army officer were killed. And from Gaza, hundreds of rockets were fired into Israel. Uh, By the spring of 2022, a spat of violence on Israelis by Palestinians left 14 Israelis dead in a handful of attacks between March 22nd and April 8th. Um, And in response, Israel clamped down on militants and activists uh, and launched what was called Break the Wave, which was a military operation in the West Bank, which made 2022 a particularly deadly year. Um, Israeli forces killed 146 Palestinians in the West Bank in 2022, a death toll higher than in any other year since the UN began keeping records in 2005. Um, The Palestinians killed 29 Israelis that year. 
And in December 2022, Netanyahu was sworn in for a sixth term in an extremely close election. Um, and this, you know, led, was a back and forth where it seemed like his opposition may form a government, he may form a government, um, and Netanyahu eked it out. Uh, and he cobbled together the most far-right pro-settler government in Israeli history. And I'll stop there. I think we, we kind of know what happened after that. Uh, and so that's the history. That's, that's what we have. Uh, you know, feel free to uh, send in your questions, send in your voicemails. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And we'll continue covering this. This is obviously such an important issue. Uh, our voicemail is 321-200-0570. Remember to, to rate, review, and subscribe. Like, you know, we don't bother you with ads right now. Um, we don't charge you anything. The best thing you could do is write a great review, but also share this, especially this history. Because I think you're out there and you're seeing people sharing things and you may have strong opinions, you may not. You don't want to like lean into pissing off people on social media if you don't want to. But this history, I hope you you realize at this point, is meant to be as objective and accurate as I'm, I'm capable of. Nobody's truly objective, but this is, this is what I'm capable of doing. And, and I hope this was a service to you. Let me know if it was, and let me know what else I can do on this subject or others to help you understand this really tragic conflict. Thank you very much, everybody. <laughs>